Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. Her name is Kelly Weil. Her last name is spelled W-E-I-L-L. And she just published a book February 22nd, 2022. Title of the book is Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. It's an excellent book. I've read it. A lot of names are very familiar with me. I've interviewed and talked with Flat Earth Dave, who she mentions in the book. We had a very pretty civil discourse about the subject of flat earth so people can listen to that on my show if they want to go back through but kelly weil is a journalist at the daily beast where she covers extremism disinformation and the internet as a leading media voice on the role of online conspiracy theories in current affairs she has discussed flat earth and other digital fringes on abc's nightline cnn al jazeera and other national and international news outlets and she lives in new york but again we're going to talk about this just published book off the edge so Kelly Weil, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard your work or your background, can you kind of talk about, I know that you've done a lot of articles about this subject, That and can you talk about those articles and what led to you putting together this book, Off the Edge? Sure. So uh, my day job, I'm a reporter at the Daily Beast, and I have always, even before I was a journalist, been very interested in interesting online subcultures, you know, kind of out there beliefs, little pockets of the internet that most people don't explore. And so in my work in, uh, you know, reporting on some of these communities, around 2017, I started seeing flat earth posts and some of the stranger forums that I monitor. And I thought it was really interesting because I, at first I didn't believe that anybody genuinely believed that. So I started digging into it, and what I found was a community of believers who are actually very sincere in their commitment to this conspiracy theory. So my uh, my interest in how exactly someone could believe that turned into my visiting Flat Earth conferences and my becoming fairly close with certain Flat Earthers and uh, eventually uh, releasing this book last week. Right, and I'm really fascinated. Like, we know... Certain people I didn't expect to see in this book. I know who Robbie Davidson is. So you mention him often throughout the book. But I was surprised. Something I really learned, which I didn't expect, was that the history of Flat Earth didn't start in the late 20th century. It goes way back to the middle part of the 19th century, right? That's right. Um, You know, there are a lot of misconceptions about where and when the Flat Earth movement started. A lot of people think that we've always believed Earth was flat until the past 200 years or so. And in fact, that's not true. You know, for 2000 plus years, we've had mathematicians proving that we live on a globe. But something interesting happened around 1840. And that's when um, there was a this really interesting character. His name is Samuel Robotham. He had this varied career. He uh, was a leader of a failed utopian commune. Then he uh, tried selling uh, basically miracle cures that he said would uh, fix any illness. And then he started promoting this theory that he had developed while doing experiments on what looked like a very flat canal. And he said, based on his observations, the world looked flat. And he started selling pamphlets about this theory and then books and going on a lecture tour. And, you know, it was as strange to people then as it is now, but just like in, in the current day, it started converting some people. And some version of Samuel Robotham's theory has been around with us ever since. 
Right. It's really incredible. And he was, he also had a lot of similarities maybe to the modern flat earthers is that he was also into kind of other ideas, uh, health cures. And he, I, this word that I had never heard before, zetetic. So that, I, that kind of when the earlier flat earth, that term was used by some of these people who were his ideological heirs. Can you talk about what that term means and how he kind of influenced future flat earthers? Absolutely. So this idea of zetetic science is really interesting because although that's not a word most of us have encountered, it's sort of a um, an exploratory practice that I think we recognize from a lot of conspiracy circles. Basically, Samuel Robotham's idea of zetetic science was only believing what you could personally confirm with your own senses, only trusting the things that you could see or hold. And that sounds very good on face value. You know, why not do my own research and prove everything myself? But unfortunately, we need to have some level of trust. You know, the example I use is uh, I've never been to New Mexico, but I trust that New Mexico is there. I have friends from there. It'd be very strange if everyone were lying to me about New Mexico. So this idea of zetetic science was appealing to certain people. Um, and it allowed them to say, well, I guess I can't visually prove with my own eyes that Earth is round. So maybe there is something to flat Earth theory. Maybe there is something to the idea that when I look out from my limited point of view, Earth looks flat. And so um, it, it was a very interesting way of turning the scientific method on its head and encouraging people to be skeptical, but unfortunately skeptical in a direction that misled them. Right. And one of the interesting things is one of the followers of Roe Botham was this guy whose name was, it wasn't uh, Hampton, I think was his name, who put That's out, right. he was wealthy and put out a proof and a really kind of a well-known, at least a well-known uh, scientific scholar, Alfred Russell Wallace took him up on the bet. Can you talk about that story? Sure thing. So, um, John Hampton was a very militant flat earther. He was quite well off. He had money to burn, let's say. And he put out an ad in the newspaper saying, all right, if anybody can prove Earth is a globe, I will give them, I forget the exact amount of money in uh, modern currency, but really a lot of money. And he had this very respected scientist say, okay, sure. And so they met on this canal where Samuel Robotham had conducted his first experiments and the scientists set up his uh, measurement devices and showed quite conclusively that you couldn't see a certain distance down the canal because after a distance of several miles, the earth's curvature starts obscuring things on the horizon. And rather than accept that proof, John Hampton and his friend, who was also there acting as a referee, even though the friend was secretly a flat earther, they said, no, that doesn't show what you think it shows. Or uh, I think the um, the telescope you're using is a little funny. And they rejected that proof out of hand. And instead of using this as a teaching moment, John Hampton spent pretty much the rest of his life harassing the scientist, sending him nasty, threatening mail and sending terrible mail to other people who were friends with the scientists, really ostracizing him. And Hampton, unfortunately, spent years in jail for this campaign. It 
bankrupted him. It made everybody involved very unhappy. Um, but it was it was such an interesting incident. It reminded me in ways of modern internet trolls, yeah. you know, yeah. a hundred years before the internet. Right. It, it, this was almost like similar things that I have had experiences where you may show something you think is proof. And instead of accepting it, you get more calumny. And I think Alfred Russell Wallace was really kind of a, he was alongside Darwin and coming up with the evolutionary theory. I think he was actually published some, something before Darwin. And he said that the, the legal battles of worry, litigation, and persecution wasn't worth its time. And he called them, they will never be convinced is what his conclusion was. So very uh, interesting that it happened back then that some of those things are happening today. But yeah, really interesting, that first chapter. And uh, kind of they had this whole utopian thing, Menea Fen. But they all, that also, those ideas came to the United States under John Dewey and Zion, in Zion, Illinois. Can you talk about how some of those ideas transplanted over here to the States? Sure thing. So there was a town, there still is a town called Zion in Illinois. Uh, it's a little outside Chicago, and it was really founded as a fundamentalist religious community. Followers of this eccentric preacher named John Doe said they wanted a very biblically based life. So they wanted a town that was built really from the ground up and had quite strict laws and moral codes. And that was all well and good for them for a little while. But soon after its founding, John Doe was basically deposed by a more fundamentalist uh, preacher named Wilbur Glenn Volva. And Volva might not have been a flat earther when he took over Zion in the early 1900s, but he quickly came out as one. And the laws of this town were really interesting in that they let the church really dictate how the schools were run, how roads and parks and uh, everyday laws were run. And uh, Volva used this power to rule with an iron fist. And he would have, um, he replaced certain elements of the school curriculum with flat earth doctrines. He outlawed references to the globe and church hymns. It was a bizarre flat earth dictatorship in a way. And what's funny is that it lasted for decades in this town. It's a very strange forgotten chapter in American history. Yeah, it really is interesting. I'd never heard that name, but also it showed it's kind of global. The, the These ideas became global, right? He went on two global tours and there were little outposts in South Africa, if I remember correctly, and these little mm -hmm. spots that believed in the flat earth, right? That's absolutely right. You know, it's, it's funny talking about flat earth going global, but it definitely did uh, trans it translated throughout the world. And um it wasn't just these missionary trips that Volvo was going on. They were also really early adopters of technology. Um, the town of Zion had its own radio station with a really expensive, um, powerful radio broadcasting signal. And they would use that to transmit flat earth information out into sometimes reached the middle of the ocean. Sailors reported hearing it on ships. They also had a newspaper that was carrying flat earth information and that um, did reach people well outside of Zion. So this whole town for a little while was really in the thrall of this theory. 
Right. And the Boulevard also had these kind of other ideas, too. He only ate Brazil nuts and buttermilk. Like he was a curious guy, but also very rigid. Right. Like he was kind of a real authoritarian. Yeah, that's true. You know, you've read the books. So you can tell I have a lot of affection for a good number of flat earthers, both modern day and historical. But this guy was um, he didn't sound like a whole lot of fun. He was a very serious, dour guy. And he, to your point, said that he lived on a diet of buttermilk and Brazil nuts. And he said it would lead him to live to, I think, 120. Of course, it didn't happen. He died long before that. But he was a, a real, real eccentric and not even a fun eccentric. Right. So he was like a fire and brimstone truther guy before the time. And and no doctors too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, people who might have got help didn't uh, that didn't happen. But that that and that you see that word zetetic, there was a universal zetetic society there. But that kind of morphed into the kind of modern post-World War II. Flat Earth kind of dropped off, but then it had a resurgence here in the States, right? The concept. That's right. So Flat Earth has had its kind of peaks and valleys over the last hundred years. It did have a real drop off after, um, after Zion. Uh, and it Reemerged in a small capacity in uh, in the UK mid-century. That's where uh, the foundation of the Flat Earth Society was. There was a um, there was a guy named Samuel Shenton. He was a, a very unassuming uh, English sign painter, and he started this club in his uh, in his living room. And we know that this club wasn't very successful. It did have members. A lot of them were just pulling his leg. They were just making fun of him for believing in a flat earth. But he kept the momentum alive. And near the time of his death, when he was looking for a successor to take over the club, he actually found a pair in the United States. Um, uh, their names were... Um, Oh, my goodness. Charles Johnson. Charles Johnson yes. and his wife, right? Yeah. His wife, Marjorie. Thank you. Marjorie. Um, yes. Um, and this pair, uh, they were very, very earnest flat earthers. And they basically took all the years of flat earth newspapers and magazines that Samuel Shenton had written. And they uh, brought it stateside. They started making their own flat earth newspapers. They started recruiting their own club members and issuing flat earth society membership cards. And, and that way they really did manage to keep the theory alive. They gave a lot of newspaper interviews and although it was never a popular theory, although they never had many, um, you know, very active members, they were very vocal proponents of it. And, and that way kept something for future flat earthers to go back and reference. Right. And they, you wrote that they were kind of the early ones who added this kind of conspiracy into the mix. Like NASA was holding people back, no moon landing, all these other things were fake. So he kind of had a conspiratorial outlook, right? That's right. You know, what was so interesting to me about Samuel Shenton was that although he had this broad conspiracy about, um, Earth being flat and there being some kind of cover-up, he didn't seem very conspiratorial in other senses. He couldn't really explain why he thought there was a cover-up, and he didn't seem very engaged in other theories. That changed with Charles Johnson, who uh, was very involved in 
what we now recognize as moon landing trutherism. He was very paranoid about the United Nations and had some strange theories about them actually being a secret flat earth group. He was um he he was very widely um written, I would say, on his conspiracy theorizing. So I think he did sort of transition flat earth from this narrow, almost astronomical uh, theory to something that fit into the broader landscape of conspiracy thinking and something that I think is more recognizable when we think about conspiracy theories today. Right. And yeah, it's really fascinating how they like updated and morphed to fit into what was happening. What was IFERS? What's the acronym IFERS? It's International Flat Earth. Re- yeah, International Flat Earth Re- Research Society. Research Society, yeah. So that was happening too. Do you happen to have a copy of the book available? Because I'd like you to read the first couple sentences of chapter four. If not, oh, I can do it. Oh, goodness. You know what? If you give me a moment, I can pull yeah, up a PDF. It. Yeah, that'd be um, great. If you can go to chapter four, the reboot, that was my, one of my favorite. I should have asked you before in the pre-show. <laughs> I apologize. But not a yeah, in chapter four, you kind of bring it into this whole world. Robbie Davidson, who was trying to get me to go to uh a flat earth conference but like you have had first person experience with that so i was hoping to just get the intro couple sentences to the reboot because absolutely i've got i've got it up now those were okay, cool. uh, those were in their way they were fun conferences they were very strange but um i'm i'm glad i went um yeah. but let me read a little bit and awesome. maybe yeah I wandered the labyrinthine halls of the hotel-slash-convention center, feeling hyper-caffeinated and distinctly unwell. I had just had coffee with a pleasant, thoughtful gentleman in his 60s who told me that NASA was lying about the existence of outer space, so that when Jesus returned to Earth, we would mistake him for an alien and kill him. As I walked from the coffee cart, a child shone a laser pointer, useful for measuring the Earth's curvature or lack thereof, almost directly into my retina. On this miserable, sleeting afternoon in November 2018, I'd flown to the to Denver, Colorado, to report on the second annual Flat Earth International Conference. I was not enjoying myself. All the clocks in the building were arbitrarily incorrect, compounding my jet-lagged sense of navigating a slightly wrong reality, and I'd already been reprimanded for using the hotel breakfast buffet wrong for a yogurt dispute. By the, by the event's second day, my draft consisted of a single unpunctuated observation, quote, probably going to go insane at the Flat Earth Conference. Yeah, that was a great, great intro to that chapter. Uh, I mean, so you've seen these people like firsthand. The, I mean, what and the, you, you really capture how peculiar, like some of these mothers are taking their kids out of schools because they're not teaching Flat Earth. Can you kind of talk about what your impressions were other than what you just read? about being in these conferences? Absolutely. You know, it it was very strange being in these conferences because you go there and you're around maybe 600 flat earthers and you realize that you're one of the only people who has your model of reality. And I realize that's probably the opposite of how flat earthers usually feel. Usually they feel as though they're the only ones who believe earth is flat and everybody else around them is, um, is blind. So it was a little disorienting for me being in that space. But I think for flat earthers, there was, um, there was a celebratory atmosphere around it. You know, this is where they met all their online friends in person, and they really felt like they could kind of hang loose and be themselves. Um, and it was it was very much surreal for me. Um, 
it, it was informative, definitely. But um, it, yeah, the people were very um, people were very open about their beliefs there, in a way that very strongly contradicted with my own. Right, and they have like all of the culture there. So like selling the flat Earth books and posters and and visual things, if I remember correctly, because I saw somebody who went through one of those conferences and it really was a different subculture, right? Or even a subculture of a subculture. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You can buy a ton of flat earth merchandise there. Um, you can get the t-shirts and the books. And in that one conference that I was describing there, there was even a concert one night um, with a flat earth musician and everybody knew the words. And It was so weird being, you know, in this crowd of people singing a song about how satellites are fake and it's like what where am i what's going on um so uh, yes yeah, very firmly a subculture not just a, a theory or a belief but a whole identity for right. certain people who uh, who really buy into this right it really is an identity and they feel i kind of get the do you get the feeling like they feel like they're on the cutting edge of understanding the co like the cosmos, like they really think that they're onto something. Do you get that impression? Very much so. Um, you know, there is this belief among flat earthers that they are part of a sort of a privileged few who understand what's going on. And I don't think that's exclusive to flat earth as uh, conspiracy theories go. I think a lot of conspiracy communities think that they are, um, you know, some of the only people clued into the real truth. But uh, they flat earthers at these conferences really do conduct themselves as though they are actively performing experiments. They'll have presenters go up and show the latest findings of some test that they tried to run in the desert where they shown a laser pointer very far. And I mean, it's it's garbage science, but it does have the veneer of legitimate science. It, people are interested and they are taking notes on what they think is to use your word, something very cutting edge. Right. Yeah, no, it's really fascinating, like how they think that. And, and uh, they have very, I mean, we live like according to Flat Earth, we have, there's an ice wall somewhere out there beyond the 60th parallel, right? That, That's yeah. right. You know, so I in, in doing interviews for this book, I've had people ask me what I think are probably valid questions. And people say, well, why can't you fall off the edge of the earth? And the answer that flat earthers will give you is that uh, there is a big ring of ice, a big wall surrounding the earth. And that's what keeps the water from going over. That's what keeps us from slipping over the edge. And um, they also believe often that there's a dome enclosing earth. So it's doubly hard to get out. Um, but it is interesting. And you start asking people, well, why haven't we checked out that ice wall? And they all have reasons or excuses. They'll say that, um, you know, the United Nations has a, a standing army there to pr prevent people from going. <laughs> or I've met multiple people who said, I actually am going to go to Antarctica. I just need to raise enough money. So, you know, it, it's um, it, it would be easy, I think, to disprove this for a lot of people because the evidence simply isn't there to support their claims. But they always have a reason that they can't do that final experiment or they always have a reason to discard actual proof. 
Right. No, it's really fascinating. Like they almost have a set kind of like ledger, like where they have the direct response to that. Because you mentioned Flat Earth Dave. I've talked to Flat Earth Dave for 90 minutes and he had it right down. He showed me a picture of the ice wall and that was kind of enough for him. It wasn't enough for me. But some of those rationales, like you, they think that the, even the plane flights are fake because, mm -hmm. right? Because they, they couldn't actually do that on a flat earth. Like you bring yeah. that up in your book, right? <laughs> yes, I do. You know, I um, I remember having this conversation with a woman telling me that, you know, you can't make certain nonstop flights from the U.S. to Australia or the U.S. to South Africa. And I said, now, hang on, I've done both of those, like, you know. Um, and of course, the response to that isn't, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I was incorrect, but no, the pilots of those flights are lying to you. They're taking you on a different path. Um, and so one thing that I do like to highlight about flat earth belief, but really a lot of conspiracy theories is that they're not, um, they aren't powerful because they're the most evidence-based. Flat earth is not grounded in any evidence at all, but because they are something that believers want to believe. They, um, they make a powerful emotional appeal to certain people. And so when you're trying to argue the evidence, that's a little beside the point for people. They have the argument that they want to make um, and showing them certain evidence isn't necessarily going to sway them because they have often some, um, you know, some response memorized or some reason that they can discard what you're saying offhand. Right. And they, they, it's not, they're not as fixated on evidence. I've had a conversation with one who believes flat earth because he believes that he was lied to by so many other things. So it does tie into this conspiracy culture and the QAnon outlook, right? There's an overlap between that. Would you agree with that? There certainly is. And I think that's a growing overlap too, at least with QAnon. Um, you know, when I first started looking into this theory in 2017-ish, well, one, I don't think QAnon was... No, QAnon was just getting started then. But anyway, I do think that it was a little bit more siloed. I think that Flat Earth was a little bit more focused on just that theory. Um, and over the years that I've followed it, I've noticed a lot more uh, exchange between Flat Earth and other conspiracy theories. I've noticed a lot of QAnon talking points in Flat Earth circles and vice versa. I'll be watching a QAnon telegram channel, for instance, and see somebody posting Flat Earth. So I think there's a lot of cross-pollination going on in the conspiracy world right now. And that's, um, I think that's in many cases very unfortunate. I think, you know, Flat Earth is wrong, but I don't think it's as imminently dangerous a theory as something like QAnon, which does have some very immediate and negative uh, implications. No doubt. I mean, they, they think that... Uh, you know, John F. Kennedy Jr. is going to pop up, that mm -hmm. these, these are literal, like, child-eating pedophiles. And those guys, and it, it, it's very similar in outlook, in my opinion, to Flat Earth, where the evidence-based worldview isn't as important. It's the power of belief. And it's just like in the, in the clause of your, uh, intro, uh, you know, subtitle, which is why people believe anything. Why do they believe that? Do they want to believe it? There's a lot of things. But these groups, these people, unfortunately, they might be alienated before. But when they believe this, they alienate themselves from there are a lot of family members and friends and things like that. Right. There's there's con real consequences for people to believe these ideas. Right. 
Absolutely. And you know, when I say something like QAnon has immediate uh, negative effects, I do mean that for the general public. But I think there is also, um, for flat earthers, an immediate negative effect for the believer. You know, you if you start bringing up flat earth talking points at Thanksgiving or um, at the bar, people might laugh you off. But if you persist, you're probably going to start alienating people. Um, and that's what's really unfortunate. And these theories don't encourage just, you know, lighthearted, passive belief. They encourage very, um, very militant and strong held belief. And they encourage people to preach this theory. So very often flat earthers, friends and their loved ones will start getting kind of annoyed and they'll start, uh, you know, casting them out. And not only is that, you know, very emotionally devastating for a person, but it often leads people to turn even further into flat earth and leads them to spend even more time with these often online-based communities that don't necessarily have their best interests at heart or are further, you know, diluting them. And so I think it's this vicious cycle of people um, losing touch with real world connections and building more and more ties to this often internet-based unreality. Right. No, that's a great point. And I, I suspect you for being at these conferences and, and scanning through these Facebook groups, it really must be something else to see this kind of soap culture uh, feeding itself, so to speak. It is. Yeah. And it's a little unfortunate. You know, I've had very candid conversations about this with flat earthers who recognize that this is an alienating um, force. But they always make it up by saying that they've made new friends, right? They have they have truer friends now in the community. Um, and, you know, again, I really do think that people need in-person ties to reality. I think these real-world friendships and family connections do help us stay grounded in, yeah. um, in a reality, a, a shared version of truth even. And when you get this atomized online culture, I think that can really destabilize how people uh, perceive the world. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it is dangerous. And you mentioned a lot of names that I'm familiar with, Isaac Cappy and some of, some of these other. And there's this one kind of tragedy, which you open your book with is this guy, Mike Hughes, who really took it to the nth degree, right? This flat earth truth. Yeah. Um, Mike Hughes was, uh, he was a stuntman. He was an amateur rocketeer and he was one of the most visible faces of the flat earth movement for quite a while. He was also someone that I personally quite liked. Um, and he had this idea that he would blast himself up in a rocket very high and be able to take a picture of the earth's curvature or lack thereof. And that would settle the debate. Um, but in so he did a couple launches, never high enough to see the Earth's curvature, but he was, you know, slowly working his way there. And in February 2020, one of those launches went just catastrophically wrong. He took off kind of sideways and he died on impact. Um, and that was that was it, it was really tragic and it was um, it was really unnecessary, I think, was what stuck with me. You know, there has subsequently been some debate over whether he was a legitimate flat earther. His friends have told me that he was or that he was at least um, convinced enough to really believe that he had to investigate this. And 
Yeah, it, it really troubled me that um, none of this needed to happen. You know, there right. there were answers there, and he didn't need to make this launch, and he didn't need to lose his life. Yeah, no, but it just shows that kind of intensity of the people being want to have proof. Because I remember when I was talking to Flat Earth Dave, Dave, he said he had been up three days, like in a kind of a, mani a manic sense of really just working out his flat earth reality. So it's almost like these, they get, and I think that happens in you, you've, you have a couple of psychologists in there. We're talking about kind of almost like a cult definition of what happens with these people in these groups and, and QAnon. And I think flat earth are good examples of that. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I spoke to this one psychologist who said it might not be an explicit cult, but it almost falls under the, she said, the cult rubric where it is a very strict in-group, right? A strong community that believes themselves to have this shared identity. Um, and they encourage people to cut themselves off from other forms of information. You know, dissent is actually not welcome in these communities, even though they say that they're open to questioning. And they uh, they have a very strong loyalty to each other. And that makes it very hard, I think, to see perspectives outside a conspiracy theory. Right. And how, how big do you think the current flat earth community in the States is or worldwide based upon your kind of inquiries into Facebook and stuff? I am not sure, to be honest. And I really wish I had hard numbers on that. There have been a number of um, studies that I, I sort of question the methodology. They consistently come out with about 1% of people saying Earth is flat. And, you know, the reason I'm skeptical of those is because, one, we don't really have a really good sense of who is being questioned. And, two, I think some people, when they're asked that question, will fib because they think it's right. funny. But I can tell you that I've been to conferences with 600 flat earthers, and those weren't easy conferences to attend. They cost hundreds of dollars, not including airfare and lodging and food. And so this is not a, a small movement. You know, I think 600 flat earthers in one room is frankly too many in this day and age. So um, it's not a huge, huge movement. It's not a QAnon, but it's... Um, much larger than it really ought to be, I think. Yeah, I mean, considering all of the other evidence that you can have now, and so much, so many things that they may may not have had, you know, 150 years ago, it is an interesting phenomenon. So I don't, you know, do you feel like there are leaders within the flat Earth who are really using it to their benefit, maybe to sell things or to have influence of people, maybe kind of like a you know, cover course of control group. Did you mm -hmm. find that evidence or anything like that? I, I'm not sure a leader is exactly the right word um, because I, I think that might imply just a, a little bit more control, but there definitely are influencers. Um, there are flat earth celebrities, the people who organize conferences, the people with really big YouTube channels, they have legitimate followings and um, they do have a lot of influence over the community and they certainly are making money from it. So it's not, um, you know, again, people always ask me, is this a cult? And I say, I don't think it can really be one. It doesn't have a distinct leader who people are blindly following. Um, but there are people who are profiting from this and who have become, you know, lightly famous from it. Oh, interesting. 
and you said that there were guys making documentaries. So there is kind of a little, you know, there's that, like you said, merchandise or stuff like that. Is there anything, Kelly, that you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up the interview? We're about 35 minutes. Oh, um, man, these are fantastic questions. Thank you for them. Um, you know, I think the only thing I would probably throw out there is I've had a lot of people in the past week or so say, okay, uh, you know, how do you prove Earth is round? And, you know, there are so many easy ways. We've been doing this for thousands of years. And I think the uh, maybe the most fun is go to the beach with a friend and watch the sunrise or the sunset. And you can see the sun dropping over the horizon. And that doesn't work on any flat earth model. You know, um, there are a million reasons to believe in the globe. And uh, some flat earthers will discount them by saying you can't trust a picture from NASA because that's fake too. But, you know, there there is an extent to which you can literally trust your own eyes. And it's how the sun rises and sets every single day. And that's what I would recommend. Awesome. And then where is the best place for people to get off the edge? I see there's an audio book too on Amazon. Is that the optimal spot or a website? Listen, I am, I'm grateful for anyone who is interested in the book. Um, Amazon works. You can also, uh, if you have a local bookstore that you support, uh, there are sites like um, Bookshop and IndieBound, which help you uh buy the book from independence, which I, I, you know, <laughs> I'm a personal fan of, I love my indie bookshops. So that's what I'd recommend, but, um, love them all. And I really, uh, really love the audiobook. I worked with a great reader on that. Oh, cool. And, uh, if people want to reach out to you, where's the best place for social media or contact? Uh, I am, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's just my first and last name, Kelly Weil. And I've been, um, sharing interviews I've been doing about the book and upcoming events. So that's the best place to keep up with me. Awesome. It's an excellent book. I loved reading the book. I smiled along on a lot of these things. And I learned, like I said, I learned a lot. I didn't know at all that it went back to the 19th century. So I was delighted to read those introductory chapters. Again, title of the book is Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. And the author is Kelly Wilde, just published February 22nd, 2022. And there is an audio book too. So Thank you so much for your time and good luck with the book, Kelly. Thank you for having me. All right, stay there. Stay there.